Hi, and welcome to another episode of Startup Stories, where I interview the best and brightest startup founders and experts, so you can be ahead of the curve with your own startup venture. This episode brings us together with Alan Cabello from AtJoint, a startup that empowers businesses in the financial industry to achieve new levels of efficiency and control by delivering blockchain technology built specifically for their needs. Having Alan on and talk about hot technological topics like blockchain and APIs in layman's terms was super insightful and helped me better understand these important technologies that are gaining more and more attention these days. Alan also shared how he perceived the difference between being a founder and being a manager at a startup, how he acquires businesses as customers, and more. I'm super excited to share this conversation with all of you today. Enjoy! All right, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Alan. Thank you. Thanks very so much, much for, for taking the time. We have a it's it's a bit of special situations as we talked before, um, but I'm very excited to see that uh, special angle uh, on on uh, yeah, it's kind of expanding a, a startup in a new market. Mm-hmm. So you're the the regional general manager of mm-hmm. Adjoint here in Switzerland. Yes, and you just started in 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 October, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, could you could you tell us a little bit about yourself and also what what does Adjoint do for someone who's not specialized in blockchain like me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I read through the website, I got it eventually because um, I'm I'm not that smart. But um, yeah, what do you do? Sure. Um, so first off, uh, my name is Alan Cabello. I I'm an engineer. I always start out with that, so you can trust me. <laughs> <laughs> is that the image you <laughs> trust me? I'm have. an engineer. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I studied engineering, um, moved on to an MBA, did a PhD in strategy innovation. I've been working in, around innovation for the last ten years or so. Um, I last role before Adjoint was as an innovation manager at a very large insurance company. And I was uh, Adjoint's client, actually. Um, right. So that's how I got to know Adjoint. Um, within my role, I hired a couple of different enti- uh, companies to develop stuff for me there. Um, and I really, really liked uh, working with Adjoint. With, yeah. um, they were small, um, super agile, but the founders were very senior and very knowledgeable about the business, yeah. uh, which... I believe is kind of it's a three let's say the three pillars for success uh, cool technology good stuff yeah. you actually know what you're doing great um, understanding where it is you're playing yeah you see a lot of people like oh we're gonna revolutionize insurance it's like do you have anybody in insurance works well, no but you know we all buy insurance and like that's not necessarily the same thing for yeah. banking or for any industry I think it's uh, and number three in this specific case, these guys knew how to do enterprise-grade implementations. Yeah. And I think that's a huge um, challenge for startups, fintechs nowadays. Yeah. Um, the thing like, yes, I can sell this to, I don't know, whoever magical client you would like to acquire. Have you any clue what it is to deal with an enterprise-level IT system? That is, that is an animal that is... They don't teach you how to do that at ETH. <laughs> yeah, so because the technology is so old that they use or the systems are so complex or what complex does that mean? Complex systems, 
old complex technology, complex architectures and you know implementations at the time, regulatory, right, legal requirements that are super high. <laughs> so I remember working with a with another small company, and I asked these guys, fantastic engineers, really really cool engineers, great at what they were doing. But the moment I brought up ESO regulations, they, they looked at me like, well, what's that? I was like, well, I don't know either. I'm just the innovation. <laughs> but you guys are selling me this IT stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's... Um, it's important. That's, that's important. Yeah. So if you're hoping to sell to large companies, you need to know how to, yeah. how to speak their language and play in that, in that field. So it's like coming with a baseball bat to a basketball court. Yeah. The, what do I do with this here? <laughs> Although you might do great stuff with it, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's how I, um, I ended up working with Adjoint. Um, small companies founded in 2016. Uh, extremely successful from the get-go. Um, growing very, I would say, organically. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking to move on new challenges they asked me if i would set up the the swiss yeah. swiss part of the business and look out for the let's say continental europe market yeah um and what do they do what do you what's that's a good question what do you do and what do i do <laughs> so in very very simple terms we try to simplify business processes within the financial services industry mm-hmm. that, that sounds too simple um but if you think of uh, how banks or any financial service business got computerized mm-hmm. in the, let's say, 80s, 90s, they essentially took what they were doing and they put it on a computer. Yeah. They never fiddled with the process itself. Yeah. So when traders were at the trading floor, you know, waiting papers around mm. um, and then giving it to someone and that someone sending it to someone else, they basically, they took that and, and then it's like, okay, now you take the paper and you put it into this computer and then you send it to, yeah. and then it's like, yeah. okay, instead of doing the, so we started basically computerizing all these different processes yeah. because it was easier than actually digitalizing. Now, what do I mean with digitalizing? Well, you look at the new tools you have and like, oh, what's a better way of doing what I'm doing? Yeah. And doing that requires some change management, requires some, you know, tearing down some kingdoms and setting up new ones. Mm. So let's say now we're at the point where, given a variety of social, economic, and technology factors, um, these companies are being forced yeah. to rethink these core process, business processes they have. Yeah. So what do we do? Uh, we build on three pillars, three different, th- I like three. Three is always a nice number <laughs> to have. Um, so number one, and I think for us the most important is APIs, mm-hmm. it's open banking. What we're doing today would have not been possible three years ago. What's an, what's an API for someone who just came out of uh, psychology, <laughs> master's degree? An API is basically the connectivity you have with another IT system. So the connectivity between two IT systems. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'll give you a very, very simple example. You have, um, I want to know if you paid me the six francs you owe me for this coffee. Right. We're in Zurich, guys. Sorry. Coffee yeah. is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to know if Daniel paid me that money. And Daniel says, hey, yes, I, I, I sent you that money. So I call up my bank. 
pick up the phone or send them an email and say, hey, I want to know if I actually got that money. Yeah. However mechanism you use. But so what the bank would do would send me an envelope with my statement and, you know, that information. When that envelope arrives home, I open the envelope, I take out the piece of several pieces of paper and there I will have a letterhead and this fancy format, the legal disclaimers on the bottom, and then all the lines of transactions that I've had because they're not going to just send me that payment. They're no. going to send me everything. Yeah. And then on page three, somewhere in the middle, I'll find, hey, six francs from Daniel. So then I'll just go to WhatsApp and I'll say, hey, I got your six francs. Yeah. So that's essentially how traditional corporate IT systems work. Hmm. Um, sending system has a certain information they will package it up in the format old formats that are very heavy which think about the piece of paper and the letterhead and the envelope and then they'll send it to you through a very very heavy type of you know let's say using auto bandwidth yeah <laughs> in this case mail yeah um, which is necessary in order to transport that heavy piece of information it'll arrive at the receiving end of IT system and that IT system will unbundle that, mm. take out all the formatting, take out the letterhead, take out the envelope, look for that one piece of information, yeah. and then put it into their own corporate format, yeah. which is probably a PowerPoint for the CEO. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. In our case, the corporate format that we're looking at was WhatsApp. Yeah. Me telling you, yes, yeah. I got this yeah. Yeah. A little thumbs up, right? Yeah. So um, that's basically how IT systems traditionally connect to each other, and they have for 10, 15 years. Yeah. What IPAs, API, IPAs, <laughs> IPAs do that later. <laughs> That's later. <laughs> APIs do now is they will basically allow our two systems to connect in a way that whenever I need that granular piece of information of those six francs by Daniel, I can, through my system, I can go into their system, yeah. draw that one piece of data and bring it over just as that piece of information. Six mm. francs, Daniel, date, time. You know, very, very right, yeah. compact. Yeah. Transport that in that very compact, easy way yeah. and automatically put it in the format that I need it in. Yeah. So if you have this image, <laughs> it's me WhatsApping the bank. Yeah. The Daniel Pay, yes, at this time. Yeah. And That's that autom easy. I can forward yeah. it to you. Yeah. That would be the equivalent of an API within our, you know, day-to-day -day business. Yes. In the format that we use, in the way that we use it, and that we need it. Yeah. So if you have these types of connectivities, uh, which, again, was not possible three years ago because there very few banks actually allowed you to do this. And this is regulatory, by the way. It's an, yeah. Uh, EU regulation yeah, yeah. is forcing banks to do this. Um, this allows us to have a granular level of data from financial transactions that were never before possible yeah. to to the penny, yeah. every single line of payment before we would bulk stuff. So that's pillar that's number pillar. one. Yes. Uh, pillar number two is what we call distributed ledger technology, the magical blockchain word. Yes. Um, for those of you um, <laughs> out there that have no clue what this means, think about it as a Google Sheets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Google Docs, Google Sheets. We both call it an Excel sheet, you and your browser in my mind, and then we can each write right. and we see each other writing and we you know, we have a real time document that we're working on. Yes. That's a distributed ledger. Yeah. Now 
this religious technology as we know it, or blockchain as some people call it, has the additional part that we have an immutable record, which a record that cannot be deleted, of who did what, when, where. Yeah. So if Daniel wrote in cell C3, Alan is great, <laughs> yeah, then we that's will have there. That, that happened. Yeah. If Alan comes over and makes a change and said Alan is wonderful, <laughs> there will be a, a record of Alan made that change to that cell at this time. Yeah, so it records any change. It records any change. Yeah. Why is this interesting? Because we have a means to now always have the latest version, the latest draft. Yeah. And if you're working on a student project, any type of thing, yourselves like, go. What, what's the draft version? Twenty five. Twenty five. And in that. in large companies, even in small ones, I mean, we have Dropbox, we have Google Docs, but large companies don't for yeah. various IT purposes. Yeah. Um, we're constantly exchanging information, and the question is, what's the latest? What's the the, the final version of this? Yeah. And it makes sure that a group of people distributed in different places, in different organizations, different whatever geographies, have the same version. Yeah. Now, why is that important financial services? Because you need to know, say, Alan paid, Daniel, Daniel paid Alan. Yeah. The moment that you put paid, I paid here, I have that in the same moment, I have it on my Excel sheet. Yeah. And the more people we invite to our Excel sheet, we always have, okay, this is the latest version yes. that anybody put in there. Yeah. You put that together with the API, so then you can see not just what we, what we put, yeah. but what reflects on the bank. Yeah. So that API, that, that information from the bank starts feeding that ledger yes. and reconciling, which is basically matching those two numbers yeah. in real time. Yeah. That helps us do a lot of very interesting stuff. And number three is smart contracts. Now, smart contracts are interesting because they're neither smart nor are they really contracts. <laughs> Compared to dumb contracts. <laughs> Think about it. Um, my first job uh, was at ABB designing control systems for power plants. Mm-hmm. And I would go around an old power plant that was, was analog, yeah. where people would you know manually open gates and stuff like yeah. that. And I would go around and I'd make notes. Pressure here has to be this value before you open something and flow of water comes through and all these different things. Yeah. I was designing the logic that went behind the operations of what makes a power plant work yeah. based on the values of what they had there. We spent the entire 80s and 90s automating factories and industry. Mm. We hadn't done that in business because we didn't have the digital inputs. Everything was still done in paper. Yeah. And then when we had the internet, we weren't ever really true if the version of the document we were working on was the final one. So trusting that document and that that was the final version of it was too much of a liability. Yeah. Think of a legal contract. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we have this source of truth, which we can say, hey, it actually works. It actually, everybody agrees. Yeah. We can start automating things. So, very, very simple case. Any person who's ever worked in any company will say expense reports. Yeah. You want to automate <laughs> and, <it>? <laughs> <laughs> Please. And, and, and please automate it. And there's been apps that have been doing this for, for many years. You can picture it and it automatically extracts the data and all these wonderful things. But at the other day, there's still someone who has to look at this and say, okay, does this person have the seniority level to spend X amount of money? 
Mm. What is the bank account of the match different piece of information? Yeah. And make a decision do we pay or do we not pay? Yeah. This all these little different decision points and matching points, we can start automating. Yeah. And businesses, especially financial institutions, are short are, are full of processes that can be automated. That can be automated because we do them every day, every week, every month. Yeah. Paying an insurance, you, you pay the same thing pretty much every year. Something, a, little, a few parameters change. Yeah. You adapt it slightly to whatever formula you had there. Mm. You keep on going. So a smart contract is nothing but a mathematical equation. Yeah. Ands, ifs, ors if, this and, uh, equals yeah. that. You do that yeah. or that. Yeah. So it's very, very, very simple. We have APIs that have given us to, <laughs> thanks to government, basically, and regulation yeah. pushing for it, um, pushing banks to do that. Distributed ledger, which has been around for 30-something years. Yeah. And these smart contracts, which allow us to automate things. Yeah. So we take those three magical ingredients, and we just go digging into, into any company, because any, any company large company has financial, yeah. financials. Yeah. Um, what I find fascinating is any organization in this world produces something and money flows in the opposite direction yes every organization in this world the red cross produce aid yeah. and then money has to flow into a certain direction yeah. ford makes cars and money and we've gotten really really good at optimizing the output of stuff yeah but the money but we're really <laughs> really bad at the input of money yeah I totally, I totally, I totally <laughs> see that. It's, it's even, it's even small things like, um, my girlfriend works in a coffee shop, or she, she's not at the bar, but mm -hmm. she, she has to do the fine, the, the reporting at you know, once a month or once every two weeks, and she spends a day, like, taking all the the the, the quittungen, you yeah, know, yeah, from the from, the, from the the receipts from the bars, and matching them, and uh, and it's a day, yeah. she spends on that. And I'm sure there's like 10 different softwares who that would actually help her. But in order to get into those softwares, you need to kind of do the on. It, yeah. It's it's not that easy. It was like, oh, you can use this and you can use that. And then you suddenly you have three different yeah. IT systems. And yeah. now think about it in the corporate world. <laughs> so if, if, if in our lives we have Expensify, we have this and we have that. Yeah. And But these things don't talk to each other. So then yeah. you, at the end of the day, you sit down in front of an Excel sheet. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, you come back to Excel, <laughs> Excel and like, exactly. I hate you, but I need you. But I need you. Um, so that's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what I find. I see why you're excited about this because yeah. there's so much potential to... For anything, for everywhere. Yeah. And also make, I mean, there's a lot of people doing manual work right now in that. And I'm sure they're not enjoying... I mean, they could be doing better things. They could be doing more interesting things. More interesting things. So, so that's that's a huge potential as well there. So you you're starting, uh, yeah, you're you're attacking the Swiss market now. Um, As a start, yeah, we're really going to Dach. I'm yeah. working in, in the German region. Uh, some doing some stuff in France and Italy. So I'm going around <laughs> Switzerland yeah. and Knocking around on other doors as well. Switzerland is a great place to to go around all these different markets because of the languages, because of the True. It's it's a great starting point for, yeah, for this, for know, this overall region. region yeah. yeah, yeah. What did you do to identify the like the perfect customer for your value proposition? Was it 
because you're, you're not starting out f- totally fresh. Uh, Adjoint had, had customers before. Did you just take that and come into the new market and, and say, those are the customers we're going we're gonna to go for because it, it makes sense? Or did you have to adapt your value proposition somehow or your, your target customer? So I don't think we should ever, <laughs> I would say should not, get to a final product. Yeah. Let's say the final value proposition. I think this is it needs to keep on evolving, no matter what the business is. If if you already sit down and like, oh, I made it. We're this done. was our value proposition. Yeah. We're done. You're <laughs> probably not too far away from the cliff. You're not gonna survive long <laughs> very long. Sure. Um, in terms of what Adjoint has been doing for the last couple of years, and that we're now offering the Swiss market, uh, which is essentially optimizing these financial processes and we have a specific product that helps do that Um, the core of that is the same and it's these These three three pillars that I was talking about Um, but every API has let's say goes to different banks there's hundreds of different banks in the world and not every company works with the same banks number one Um, this the distributed ledger needs to be adapted to the type of business that you're doing and if you're selling apples versus you're selling cars, mm. that might look a bit different of what you're putting. A balance sheet is a balance sheet, and that will be the same everywhere. But what parameters do you put in there? Yeah. Um, and how do we connect that to your SAP system, to your enterprise resource planning? Mm. or to, That's going to be look different. Yeah. And finally, the smart contracts really, again, depend on the nature of the business. Yeah. So yes, an expense report is the same here and in China. Probably maybe not in China, but <laughs> let's say. I don't, um, know. I don't know how to look there. <laughs> but um, contracts, for example, uh, for intercompany loans. Yeah. Loans between companies, uh, loan is a loan. Yeah. And we have a library of, of smart contracts. I'm using air quotes here. Uh, for a loan, for a swap, for like different financial parts, which yeah. is basically the similar logic and all you change is the parameters. But how these things get triggered and how they move along the corporate world depends also on where you are. Yeah. So there is a level of customization to what we do. Yeah. um, That will always be, let's say, needed. The other interesting part is not every single different business has different level of urgency and certain needs. Mm. I just mentioned loans. So for some clients, they do a lot of these loans. Yeah. And it's a huge mess and it's a huge process and nobody's actually even thought about, as you mentioned your girlfriend, so never even, and nobody ever thought about putting any IT system there yeah. and they've got nothing and it's like, okay, great, l- let's let's do this. Yeah. Other people, well, we don't do that many loans, yeah. but we so do a lot of uh, FX transactions. We swap currencies a lot. Yeah. So what is the use case that you start out with, that requires mm-hmm. a lot of exploration and need finding with the customer. Yeah. So it's never going to be a, I'm selling cups and here's a cup. And yeah, it's not it a plug and play It's thing. It's not never going to be a plug it's and too play. too complex. Um, there is a core of it, yeah. which is replicable. So we're productizing that. Yeah. Um, and there's other things that we're starting to productize, like these modules. Okay, so you have a module for loans. Everybody's going to need the loan thing, fine. Yeah, so we do that. Yeah. Um, but there will always be some tailor, tailored part to it. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's really important to be close to your customers. Yeah. 
Um, of course, when we start going further down the market, maybe doing more SMEs or something like that, okay, well, maybe all shoe shops get the same thing. Yeah. And you all a... kebab shops get the same. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, at this level of, okay, the five biggest insurance companies in the world. Yeah. They're all doing things slightly different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta. So you you can't individualize. Yeah, it. yeah, you you need to to tailor that to their own needs. Yeah. Talking about the, the, your first customers, how do you get um, your first customers here in Switzerland? I imagine it's different to start a startup from scratch than having than entering a new market like like Adjoint is now. Mm -hmm. how, how does that look like? I mean, I've done business development for quite a while with a bunch of different other things and it's really just relationships it's it's not what you know it's who you know yeah and so if you're locked up in your basement developing the magical thing but nobody's ever seen it nobody gave you feedback nobody yeah <laughs> it's, it's that's not gonna work yeah um you might partner up with someone who, who's actually going out and about and meeting yeah. people but for us our first uh, swiss customers are really based on its, its relationships yeah and People need to trust you. Again, this is not a plug-and-play solution. And, and no matter how much we try to sell it in any business or any service, any tech, you try to sell as a plug-and-play. But specifically in the B2B market, you need to, to know people. Mm. How do you build that trust? What do you do to... Well, that's a... <laughs> build, I mean, the, the goal is build trust as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Right, <laughs> but trust is a thing that builds over time. You know, you meet a couple of times. You can add like yeah. stuff like rep, you know, references, and we did these projects. And well, how do you? Uh, there's this. Um, I recent I read a book recently. I don't remember the name, but it talk, talked about the trust battery. Yeah. Okay, and it said that every professional relationship starts with a let's say a fifty percent trust charge. Yeah, that's, it sounds familiar. But I, I, I look it up. But yeah. So you, you start off by, okay, if they already let you in the room and, you know, they think you're not completely selling air, yeah. let's say you have a 50% trust battery okay. <laughs> and you go there. And then how much you, you know, how you increase that or go down, that depends on on actions. Yeah. And here it's really based on actions. Um, number one is, I always say, Say under promise and over deliver. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, when you're doing this type of business development, go out there promising this, the world, the world, and, then, and and not delivering. Yeah, because you had one shot. Yeah, whoever gives you that shot will expect to at least get what they were told. And if you don't make it to that one person, he or she will never trust you again. And, make and sure number two, make sure that nobody else nobody does. Nobody else does. Yeah. So I think that there's that's a very different thing from B2C. Because C customers, you know, retail market is just very forgiving. Yeah, they forget fast. They forget fast, and there's other options. And then someone else tells them, like, oh, it was great for me. Like, okay, maybe I should try it again. Yeah. Um, maybe that's why I prefer it. <laughs> I it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more kind of... It's a different type of, of engagement. Yeah, it's very different. When you're dealing in B2B, you're still dealing with people. But contrary to what it seems, B2B is actually B2B to, to H, which is a human, and they're the human. Yeah. And you have a more personal relationship in B2B than you will ever have in B2C. Yeah, that's true. 
and you need to to nourish that you need to keep it these people need to to trust you now if you behave like a used car salesperson they're not going to trust you (laughs) you need to keep up to date and you need to kind of constantly hey like you know smoke signals i'm here yeah Uh, oh we're just following up how's going i always tell my guys unless you get a reply i'm not interested please stop bothering me yeah that's still a green light to okay I'll contact you another three, four weeks. It depends on you know how long your sales cycle is. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you, there's a lot of studies on this. Usually, the sales are done at the eighth, tenth, twelfth. Say, you know, you got to be pitch. persistent. You, you need yeah. to be persistent. Yeah. I even read. Uh, I don't know. It was Master of Sales, Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read no. about him. <laughs> He's, well, I've, I've never read a sales book actually. <laughs> um, well, he he. Maybe I should. I don't know. It was it was not even a sales book. It was just to goal setting about goal <laughs> setting. But he said, or he said, yeah. Even if they said no, keep going. And then he brings some examples of where he kind of got a no to a yes, and the customer was, is his best customer now, and kind of you know praising him publicly and everything. But it's I think it's critical if someone says no. Well, still the, going the, after there's him. There's no more reliable partner than a converted you know mm. <laughs> <laughs> again let's think about you know saint peter that's true from the one that was persecuting them to the one that was promoting them yeah that's your that's the best that will be y- your biggest um, let's say ally yeah because they thought this was crap they thought this was never going to work and they were so sure of it yeah and then they saw the light and they were like oh exactly and they will argue for you, and they will, they will with the same passion in which they were arguing against you, yeah. they will say, I thought this, and I thought that, and I thought that, because they thought about all the negative things, yeah. and I was wrong. Yeah. And there's nothing more powerful than someone saying it's, that they were wrong. It's the best marketer. For you. <laughs> exactly. <It's> marketer. <laughs> but so far, I haven't found any of those, but I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, and there's, a, there's a lot of unhappy <laughs> negative people against blockchain, so <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard for me there's to find potential them. there. Yeah, there's potential. <laughs> You see, uh, J.P. Morgan, um, say, recently announced this internal token. They call it. Mm-hmm. That's that's essentially what we're selling. We're, yeah. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. Yeah. But the reason why the media is all over it and it's so it's gotten so much publicity is because the CEO has been quoted before saying, "Oh, Bitcoin is terrible. I never." Oh, I saw I saw like a meme. Exactly. Like yeah. And and actually. What they're doing to Bitcoin has nothing to do. It's but it's just the perception of people. So yeah. it's so much more powerful because oh, the guy who said that this was you know only for yeah. for illegal stuff is nice. now, and he's again it has nothing to do one with the other. Yeah. But for people who are not very knowledgeable about yeah. it, it feels yeah. like oh, this guy's one hundred eighty degrees. Yeah. So it's a very powerful marketing message, yeah. basically. Yeah. It is. Oh, he said something bad about Bitcoin? He said something oh, bad about Oh, which is the Bitcoin. currency, which is not the It has technology. nothing to do with I mean, the technology that the they're technology. using to do these transactions. Yeah. yeah, okay. I was. There's one thing I... One topic that is always very interesting to me is pricing. And I had, I had another interview right before you. It was also B2B. And I always wonder how do you set the price for your products? And you're putting your thumbs up and saying, <laughs> like, what feels right. <laughs> what feels right. Because I, I, I listened to another podcast once. It's it's a startup that it's it helps startups price their products right. Uh, software as a service mm-hmm. startups. 
And they really say, I mean, that can break your startup if you price it too low or, or even too high, whatever. Um, the right yeah. pricing is really a competitive advantage. Um, how do you see that? And how so, do you set a price? I mean, for in, in let's look at there's a couple of different angles here, uh, aspects here. First of all, again, we're talking B2B in a large corporate. So their average IT implementation thing is like four million for <laughs> it right. takes, you know, five, ten years. Yeah. So the prices that they're paying are ridiculous to begin with. Yes. Um, that model, from my perspective, has reached, you know, the end of its life cycle. Companies are spending hundreds of millions every year on supporting Oracle or IBM servers locked in the basement, which Amazon Web Services is now giving you for 25 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way we're doing pricing is extremely, I agree, it's extremely important, but the way we are looking to do pricing is more like Netflix. Yeah. And actually, in ter- I've told this to board members, in terms of bang for your buck, technology <laughs> per dollar, you're getting more out of your Netflix subscription in terms of technology than you're getting for what IBM is yeah. <laughs> installed <laughs> in your basement 15 years ago and you're yeah. still paying for. Yeah. It's just the way that the pricing of old tech companies was built, which is that business model, that pricing model was thought of as, as machinery. Yeah. Again, you, you, they, they took the model yeah. from industry. Yeah. Yeah. You buy this huge chunk of machinery, you depreciate it over 10, 15 years. Yeah. And you, you know, that's the mindset. And a lot of CEOs still have that mindset. Still, yeah. I'm doing this tech implementation and I'm doing it as if I was buying this huge piece of equipment which is going to sit there and work on my factory line. IT is not like that. Not but like that, that was the model that these guys knew. You know, that's the model that the market knew and that's the model that they adapted. Yeah. Now... As we go to pay as you go, yeah. monthly subscription. Yet Netflix puts a lot of money in keeping their tech up to date. Yeah, I'm not paying for those up. I, I am paying for it, but I don't see this like oh now I ha- if I want to use Netflix 2.0, which I'm sure there's a Netflix 3.0, like you know yeah, we're every at. month. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to subscribe to this new thing, or I have to make this huge investment. Yeah. They're constantly being paid to do that. Yes, so. I see this shift in terms of, of how people pay for technology in the corporate world moving more towards how we do it in retail. In, in retail, yeah. Which is you put in your credit card details and you forget you're paying for this. Exactly. And they <laughs> slowly take and, it and from slowly, you. <laughs> um, so what we're doing now, first of all, we're interested in, in, in partnerships, not really in cash cows. Yeah because we want them to use our technology we want them to get comfortable with with what what can be done yeah. and this is completely new to them yeah so how are we priced i mean the best price you can have is is make sure you don't leave anything on the table and everybody feels happy yeah if they have 10 francs on the table then okay i'll take that now being a you know vc funded company which is that's actually that's what you're being funded for that's why you're raising money for to be able to to do stuff for free or for <laughs> in a way that actually allows customers to to test to prove yeah. and to find the value yeah 
what we're doing now is we're seeing okay let, let's let's do a small pilot and this is how, how we work mm. we always do things in three phases mm -hmm. first Again, phase three. yeah <laughs> three. Go three. Back to three. <laughs> i like the number three um phase number one after we found this we do a design thinking workshop my background is in design thinking and we say okay well, you know what's the the best use case mm -hmm. for you we map that out we do the as is a to be process yeah and we say, okay, what's the minimum, let's say minimum viable product, the, the minimum thing that we can build for you in order to come up with the KPIs to show the value of this. Yeah. So we assume that we'd be saving this much. We assume that, you know, these are our assumptions. These mm -hmm. are our hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And that pilot, that first phase, is in order to give us the numbers to yeah. justify that. Yeah. Now that we're doing more and more of this, we're seeing actually how much we're saving for them. Yeah, and the savings are enormous. Now, as we do this more and more, we realize, okay, should we charge ten francs or a hundred francs? Mm. Well, actually, if you're saving them two hundred francs, well, ten probably is okay. But yeah. if you're saving them ten thousand, well, maybe we should charge them five hundred. Yeah, and, and that's where where we're getting to now. I don't think we'll we are aiming at all to become kind of this IBM pricing. Mm. That's not what we're going for. This because doesn't make sense because we want to keep these things up to date. We yeah. want to keep on being their partners. So you want to have some kind of a subscription? We're going for an annual recurring revenue. That's that's, that's our, that's our, our an annual recurring revenue Yeah. with several large known players yeah. who find value in what we're doing. And that shows, okay, we're on track. Yeah. How much they pay? Yes, of course we need to cover our costs, and of course, and yeah. some we'll, we'll we'll take some we'll make some investments ourselves in order to showcase things that we know we can achieve. Yeah, uh, but we're not. What's the right price point? I don't know. This is the way we're going through to actually find yeah. that right price yeah. point. Yeah, so it's individ it's very individual still for each company. No, I mean, we or do have a base it's cost it's for kind of the, the core infrastructure for, let's say, our smart treasury. There's a basic annual recurring revenue that yeah. we expect to make. Yeah. The different use cases and how we adapt those to it, we we price depending on, depending. on the needs yeah. and depending on the customer. Yeah. And some customers say, I, I'll pay for the implementation, but I'd rather not. I think it depends on the customer. Some customers say, like, look, I have this much money. I can spend this. This is my budget this year. What can you do for me for that? Mm. I don't know what I'm going to have next year. It's probably not going to be this much. So I'd like to do that. Yeah. And others are like, I don't have any upfront investment. Yeah. But I'm happy to sign a five-year deal with you guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's very, very specific to the customer. It, Somehow you yeah. have a base because yeah, and, you know. and again, it's it's, it's uh, this is, goes back to the B2B side, which I'm telling you at the end of the day, it's a human because yeah. you need to. Well, they'll pay you what they can pay you. If they can pay That's you in true. oranges, they'll pay you in oranges. If they yeah. can pay you in dollars, they'll pay you in dollars. But you yeah. need to see, and okay, do I want those oranges? Yeah, maybe I do. Yeah. And people won't pay you what they don't have. No, obviously. And every no. corporate department has or does not have it. Now, it'll get to a point where this becomes a standard, and yeah, sure, and there'll be a standard be. pricing model. Yeah. Yeah. But we need to find that. So yeah. And we're doing that with the client. Yeah see what's the, the basic now again these guys are used to paying a lot of money for IT systems from the past which is good for you it's good somehow. for us but it'll also change I don't think that's sustainable anymore large companies don't have those 
huge IT, but it's these things are the global economy is not allowing people to to have that expenditure yeah. and things from the past. That's what you call the legacy systems. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> Working insurance. <laughs> yeah. So, one thing I was I was thinking about was if. And, and you've experienced both sides, a founder, being a founder yourself at the beginning, and now, uh, yeah, the title is manager, but I mean, it probably looks a lot like founding your own startup, but you're just, you're just a bit further ahead. Um, what differences do you see between the two roles? Or maybe what differences do you see in, in your own experience? What, what's different now where you're not the founder of the company, but you're you're kind of the founder in the in the country or in this region. What's the difference? I don't have to come up with all the answers myself, <laughs> and that is it's re it's really nice. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest, um, again, as a startup founder, you fake it till you make it. You, you just you keep on you keep what on that, rolling. What does that mean for someone who? doesn't know that expression well, because it can seem like <laughs> everything's fake that we make until we no, make some it money. No, because you, you, you constantly, you're constantly faced with questions to which you have no answer. You have no clue. So you make an executive decision and say, okay, we're doing that. Yeah, option A. Option A. We're Was option A that. right? Was there any actual data supporting option A? No. That's the, the main thing that students have a problem with when they face the real world you know all the variables in school. Mm. You, they give you all the factors. In business school or in engineering school, etc., they'll give you everything you need in order to solve that problem. Yeah. Or the task is to go find it. Yeah. In the real world, you either don't have time to go find it or that simply the answers don't exist, yeah. especially in the startup world. So you just need to, it's a gut feeling, and go ahead. Yeah. Now I've I've taught the entrepreneurship class at ETH, and I always start out by, you know, hundred students in the class, and I tell them like, okay, you know, first thing I haven't even introduced myself. Raise your hand if you like accounting. ETH, right? And everybody just looks around. Accounting? It's like, what, cl what class are we? <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, five, six, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> weird up. people in the crowd <laughs> raise their hands, and everybody's just looking at them like, you like accounting? And then I go like, okay, who in the crowd likes is it legal like you know reading about legal stuff or has any experience with legal again everybody's looking around like what classes well, what are we talking about yeah and maybe one or two people raise their hand i'm like well i'm sorry to tell all the rest of you that if you don't like legal you don't like accounting you're very likely never going to make it as an entrepreneur and they just that's like, a, and, and that's they, a tough start to and, a class. and, 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 like and they just stare at me like what i was like well that's basically as a founder you end up spending more of your time dealing with accounting than probably anything else in the company. <laughs> Period. <laughs> There's no way around it. Yeah. And if you have no clue how a balance sheet works, and, and you know payroll and, and taxes, and yeah. or you have someone that you trust, finding someone you trust to help you, but yeah. you're still only going to need to go to over it. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. It's it's never going to work. Yeah. So this romantic view of Oh, I'm starting a company because I invented the most wonderful micro uh, microphone in the world. Well, good for you. And so now what? Now what's gonna happen? Okay, here's a million dollars. Go build a micro. Okay, and so what do you do with a million dollars? Yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna hire a bunch of people. I'm like, yeah. And who's gonna do their social charges and taxes? And yeah, yeah. oh, we'll just hire someone. Uh, do you know how quickly that's gonna just like 
drain the drain in two seconds if you have no clue how much you're really paying people yeah i can guarantee you most funded startups if you ask the founder how much are you actually paying actually paying every employee they don't know they They have no nobody knows why because you get your social charges are paid like distributed during the year and you have one next year like the actual costs of your employee not not the salary that you're telling them you're paying them that's the easy number that's the the easy number if you consider the taxes the social charges the this and the that how much is it actually costing you to have that person sitting on that desk (laughs) i can guarantee you that 99 percent of startup founders with funding have no clue that's not a good thing, is it? Well, no, it's terrible, but we've never been educated for that. We don't have... Yes, there's accounting classes, but that's not really... Yeah. When are we going to have yeah. a pay-your-taxes class? Pay your we taxes. should have that in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have that. I, I, uh, um, I hate that. So now going back to for myself here in Switzerland, well, yes, I had to start up the legal entity for our joint. I, I had to do kind of the, the groundwork of setting up a company. Yeah. And I have the experience of... <laughs> the accounting and the legal stuff that goes yeah. around it. Um, so that's step one. And that looked very, very similar to starting my own company Yeah, from scratch. Um, the, the other thing that's not the same is, well, okay, I have funding from from the main company. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about that myself. And I help with fundraising and I help with that, but it's not, I'm that's looking amazing. for clients. And yeah. I have the time and the focus to really just look for clients. Yeah which a lot of startups spend their entire time looking for money instead of clients, which is a funny. I met a startup the other day that they're a pretty big startup. They spent the entire year just trying to close one round of funding and they didn't do anything of their product. They didn't do anything with the actual business they're trying to develop in a year, losing a year because you're trying to do, finish the due diligence that some big Swiss company is asking you to fulfill. That kills the startup. No, now they got a ton of funding. So they you're like, okay, great, but they're they're a year behind. They they're a year behind, yeah. I don't think the investors, I don't think the investors really think about that. Or how much time you, yeah. Uh, oh, they'll keep on asking. Oh, I want to see you know all your documentation, and I want you. So founder is just sitting there preparing due diligence documents, and rather than actually going around and selling what they're doing. So yeah. Yeah. that's been the benefit for me here that I don't have to yeah to raise capital. Yeah, I only did that once. I'll never do it again. The other startups I've had have been organic and I had customers and why would you never do it again it is a, it is a, it's very tough it's I hear. tough and I'm not sure it's the best use of your time again mm-hmm. the, the business depends on the business type again sometimes you just can't do anything if you don't have venture funding yeah. and if you've never done it I encourage people to actually try because it's it always looks easier <laughs> after it's been done by so many people than yeah but it's um, you lose huge control over your vision. Yeah. And your vision is is, is yours. Yeah. Um, so that goes out the window. Um, and number two, you're going to spend more time answering their questions, or their than you're actually going to be trying to solve the customer's need that you identified, hopefully. Yeah. And if you're not the boards or the investors' needs should be secondary third in terms yeah. of what it is you're, you're you're spending most of your time with but it won't but it won't does that depend on the investor or would you say 90 percent? i would say that's a general, in general statement of course there's better investors there's others yeah. um 
I have it and, and with the other company I had, can, we're productizing something. And we said, okay, we can uh, take a loan or we can pay this ourselves. Maybe we can find an investor. And I know a couple of, of uh, VCs. Mm. So I emailed one of them and said, hey, do you want to, let's say, we're doing this. Just one email. I explained what we're doing. And they already knew. I, we'd already talked about this, actually. And they'd asked, like, oh, would you like to have an investment? I'm like, no, no. We're fine. <laughs> okay, maybe. Send an email. Well, could you, and then the answer back was like, oh, this is super interesting. Could you send me your, your, your business plan and your pitch deck? And I'm like, I have a running business. We're, we're, I, I don't have. I don't have. Nobody these has. Nobody has time for this. I'm not gonna. <laughs> and, yeah. and this is gonna take me two, three weeks of work to put this together. Yeah. So that you can just scan through it. Yeah. And, and then tell. And then ask me more questions. I have not. And no. say we'll wait a bit. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're not sure it's the right time, and yeah. so it is. So a lot, it, yeah. I, I'm not entirely. That's there. In that specific case, it's not because I have the options of doing something else. Yeah. So you need to be very clear. Are you solving a customer problem? Or are you solving an investor problem? And if you if you're spending more of your time solving investor problems, you're probably not dealing with the right investors. Yeah. So you would recommend really only go to investors if you need to. Like yeah, a big amount of money to get to a certain that's the point last, where you last can be. resort, yeah. yeah. And Switzerland is really good for the little money. There's more associations helping startups in Switzerland than there are startups. <laughs> <laughs> I need to check so those out. Get, getting the first 20, 50, 100K, yeah. that's re really, really easy in Switzerland. Yeah. Getting 500K, good luck with that. It gets tougher when they... It gets the tougher. Yeah, and then you go and ask for 10 million and like, oh, no problem, here's a check. It's weird, right? <laughs> so there's this... The, the, yeah, there's this... Um, there's this gap. There's this huge gap. Um, but also, if you look at it from the investor perspective, and I, I'm a business angel myself, yeah. you're giving 500 or 100K of your money, which is people who have, you know, good amount of money, but not they're not millionaires, but there was a giving 100K of their money to a group of people who don't know anything about accounting, don't know anything about running a company. They have a great idea, but they don't actually know how to run a business. Yeah. So that's a huge risk, yeah. which is it why is. nobody wants to take it. Yeah. And despite all this helpful organization, this and that, there's not a you know, plug and play, here's my idea, make it a... Yeah. There's still no way of dealing with back office stuff. There's no way of... It's, it's hard to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where this huge risk comes from. That's why there's very few people who actually want to give you yeah. 500k. Yeah. What's your What's your? Uh, you just mentioned your your business angel. Mm -hmm. What's What's your experience um, as being a business angel? Um, lost some, made some. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier, like n n know the business. Mm. know what it needs it takes to get it get it you know, to the market which is the implementation and number three like great tech and yeah um the things that i have invested in are things that i either knew very well what it was about what was going to happen or i know someone who mm. i trust very well who knows what these people are doing yeah so i've invested in a med tech startup in germany yeah. which is doing extremely well um, and a very good friend of mine who has a PhD in this, again, he knows, he, he's the CEO of a startup of MedTech himself. 
he invested in them. He talked to me about it, and they needed some help with user experience and stuff that I, that yeah. I know about. So that's how I got in, in there. Yeah. Um, and I trust this guy when he said that what they're doing. I have no clue what it is they're doing or how they're doing. I I don't understand anything. About yeah. <laughs> but it's enough to have someone you trust. But if this guy it. tells me yeah. it's a solid technology, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. And the other investors around, it's just you know piggyback investing. It's like okay, those guys yeah. have to do diligence. Yeah. To do. Here's my money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, that's so you either know it yourself or you trust someone trust enough them. to yeah. to follow their lead. Yeah, because it's a lot of money and a lot of risk. And it's also it's fun. It's interesting. It's um, it, it's well, you get to know you get to know very a lot of interesting, interesting people and. Products and services. It's good. I've been to, to venture capital events and in Munich, in London, in Berlin, Silicon Valley, here in Zurich, and it's also just like being able to access those types of events and yeah. the types of people and how it's really, really different from from one place to the other and like the the, the style and the attitude. It's it's, it's fascinating. I, I think it's yeah. the academic in me likes that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard about the there's differences in investors. Just Switzerland and Germany is already very different. different. We have. Yeah. We had one startup on that had talked to both both sides. So yeah, in terms of difficulties for the differences here is so I don't have to look for my own funding at the moment. That's clear. Um, I have product or a set of products that I've worked with. Um, but they're not. Let's say that I'm not. They're not my babies. But I can, you know, I can subscribe to that vision. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another interesting part that you see a lot. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Nobody, it's very, it's hard to find people to work together. Mm. Um, and you see that, especially in the startup world, we're like, oh, but my vision or my thing or my is better. And we're, we're, we're over fragmenting and we're losing opportunities. In this specific case, I could have gone out and done my own thing. Yeah. In the same space. And I would have probably done okay. Yeah. Why? These guys have a head start, and 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 they have a lot of knowledge that I because I don't have that business knowledge, I don't have that implementation knowledge. Yeah. I have other things that we, we complement each other. Yeah. So hey, if I can be part of a great team, other than just doing it my own thing, and, and and there's some parts where well, I like doing things the way I like doing them because I'm a founder. And yeah. Founders have this character which is like it's my way or the highway, and I have they to, do. I have to find myself sometimes. I'm like. Okay, I'll express my opinion in and the most respectful and nice way. And if it goes my way, good. If it doesn't, then I'm like, okay, well, I trust these people. And I may not agree with their course of action, but I still trust them. So it might work might anyways. Work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something we always have to, it's just team play. Yeah. You need to trust the people you're with. You yeah. might not agree, but you still trust that they, what they decided is probably okay too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's never just a one answer to everything, right? Yeah, definitely. I can imagine, or I can see how that can be difficult for a founder type. But yeah, yeah. if you're if you're a team player, then then that works somehow. And if you trust the people, if I mean, you, you work with them. Yeah. You you've seen they're really smart sure. guys, and you, you need to. It's a it's a constant effort. It's not a. It's not like oh, I've figured out that I have to trust these people so I'll no it's you're, you're constantly making that effort yeah every week you're like okay mm, I would have liked to do you know this color orange versus yellow and I'm like uh, okay well they decided orange I would have rather okay. fine it's, and it's, it's a constant it's a constant difference they're like hey no Alan you don't have all the answers yeah 
Yeah. You, you don't. Yeah. And again, as a founder, you're used to being the one that has all the answers because everybody comes to you and is like, so what do we exactly. do now? <laughs> so <laughs> it changes those, the power dynamics yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. And, and it's, it's good. It's good human exercise. It's because I'm learning. You're learning. I'm learning about a bunch of stuff that I didn't know about. Yeah. Which is, I think, it's a main motivator, I feel, for, for all the founders that I've met. Like, I just, I just met one yesterday. I think you know him, Alex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He said, he said, if you're, if you're not learning anything, then, you know, you want to, <laughs> founders want to move towards where they can yeah. learn. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're, we're like moths around the, the light bulb, <laughs> literally. But it looks so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Let's jump to the three uh, final questions. Mm -hmm. The first one is, what's something crazy you believe that nobody else around you believes? Um, so I, there's a couple of different things within the, the space of, of adjoint. Um, most enterprise, and I'm going back to the B2B side, most of the people that are doing these manual operations, these things that we talk, this, this job, mm. um, that really nobody wants to do. I get a lot of answers towards, well, number one is, okay, these people actually like their job. Yeah. And, and we're killing jobs. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I don't really think that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> and number two is that very few, um, within this space, very few people actually ask, sit down with them and ask them, what do you do? What's your job? Mm -hmm. There's very little human centeredness, very little design thinking in, in B2B. Um, and that's, say, if I've had any success in doing what I'm doing before and doing now within this space, it's been because I went there and I sat with the accountant for the entire day and watched her do what she was doing how she was doing it, why she was doing it. Mm. I actually got interested for her yeah. job. Yeah. Not just the three bullet points of her CV, but actually what she's doing. Yeah. And in this space, very few people actually think that's important. Like, oh, well, you know, they'll just do whatever you tell them to do. Yeah. Okay, that's... And, and then that's just... A, because, again, large corporate, you know, huge py pyramids. And my answer back is like, well... That might be the case, but if they're unhappy, then you're going to have, you know, 5,000 unhappy people coming in with your complaints. Yeah. Let us design it properly for them from the mm. start. And you don't, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, go talk to the accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I have a, I, I really have this belief that this, in, in the B2B side, we do not spend enough or any time engaging with that, with that end user. Yeah. And now, again, the, the counter side, as I mentioned earlier, oh, but you're killing their jobs. And I've sat with these people, and, and no, they don't want to look what, how to reconcile these 68 cents that are lost no. in the account they can't figure out. And they, they don't want to do this this no. work. No. Nobody wants to do this work. He's yeah. um, like, oh, but you're generating jobs. I'm like, well, there's, there's jobs. and There's jobs. There are jobs. And, and there's, that's, not a, that's not a good job. Yes, it pays the rent, but that's not great. And if they're unhappy, then that shouldn't be the the, the threshold, like the, exactly. the benchmark paying rent. I mean, I I really believe that. Yeah. 
Now, is it easy for me to say I'm not a, the one whose job is being uh, optimized? Maybe. Yeah. But so I, I would go for nobody realize how important it is to actually sit down there and watch what they're doing yeah. and actually engage with them, empathize yeah. with their job. And number two, they're actually pretty happy to see these menial, repetitive, boring tasks be done automatically. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And, and that's, a, that's a constant debate that, yeah, that, 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 you're having. that we have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you could put one message on a billboard to get to millions or billions of people, what would that message be? In my business, I don't need millions or billions. I need the 10 right people. Yeah. <laughs> um, you might say like, oh, but you might find those 10 right people with, with your billboard. I don't think that the type of people I'm looking for will will go for a billboard. It's it's a different type of discussion. So I would really push that billboard towards do what you like, do what you love. If you don't, go find something else to do. Yeah. And and again, in, in the space where I'm at, I've met so many people who who hate their job. Yeah. And I think that's that's really really uh, sad. It is very very sad. Um, so that that's my, <laughs> and, and I've said I've said it in presentations and I've said it in, in like I've done a, a lot of you know blockchain one on one and again always asking about what about jobs, like if you do not like what you're doing, please if you can't find a reason to wake up in the morning and say like okay cool I'm going to do X Y and Z, yeah. go go do something else with your life. Yeah. Because you're you're neither making yourself happy nor you're making anybody around you happy. <laughs> no, it, it's, so, it's like a cancer. I mean, if you're exactly. not happy, then your family is gonna feel it and everything. So, I really. So, and why do you think I, this is important? Because we're looking at this automation, which is usually seen as oh, it's gonna destroy jobs. And yeah, yeah. We've had automation and improvements for hundreds of, course, of years, yeah. and so far, yeah, it's worked out. Um, I think we really need to make sure that people understand that this is good for for everybody, not just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and to back that up with uh, with a, a study that was made, I think 2017 by Gallup International. They do mm -hmm. surveys all yeah. across the world, and they did one with the topic of the workplace. And they they interviewed so many people, like thousands and thousands, and they found out that around 85% of the workforce is disengaged or even actively disengaged with their work and workplace so they really don't enjoy being there that's 85 percent it's just 15 percent enjoying their job which is just crazy it's, it's also very um let's say idealistic maybe um if you would ask someone 100 years ago do you like your job it's like what yeah <laughs> I mean, it pays again it pays the rent puts food on the table period yeah but i do believe that there's there's always been people passionate about what they do. There's there's been shoemakers who loved doing shoes, and there was tailors who loved tailoring, and there was miners who were very passionate about the work. Yeah, I think there that we have had that. We we think about the past as like oh this time where everybody was just you know striving to survive. No, I, don't, I don't. I I really do think that people through history have been passionate and. That passion has led to extraordinary results in their fields or in their areas and yeah. whatever they were doing. Yeah. I think we, we need to promote that, that. Yeah. especially in the richest time in history. We're in the point where we have so much wealth, so much. Yeah. 
we should strive for more of that. We should strive for just, more than just yeah. putting bread on the, on the Again, table. very millennial thing to say, but hey, again, shoot for the stars and that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. If we could ever do that, that's it's now. It's now. Or we're moving towards that. Yeah. I've, I've, um, it was funny. I was working with my partner with whom I'm doing the startup now and, and we also have that mentality. Just have fun. Just, we were laughing so much during your daytime when we were working together and then we were walking through the building of the insurance where we were working and it was such a contrast. Like we felt the heaviness and the seriousness and it was just, uh, it made us feel not really sick but it was so uncomfortable. So it was a strong contrast but it's so important to enjoy. I mean, you work eight day, 10 hours per day or more. Yeah. I got a friend who got fired because, well, didn't get fired. He was told by his manager that uh, he was too happy and that made his co-workers um, uncomfortable. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> it was back in the U.S. But his boss told him, like, hey, uh, Barry, um, I just, you're too cheerful. You're too happy. It's just making a lot of people uncomfortable. Could you tone it down? Good, <laughs> good. Job. He, he left. He works in a startup now. Yeah, he's good, very good happy. He's him. doing well. But, good for him. <laughs> but that was wow. the point where he's like, "Okay, I, I, I tried this. It was good. It was." Wow. What's the last book you read, and or a blog post or video you saw, and that you would recommend to to entrepreneurs? I will. There's one book that um, and I mentioned first that I read this one. Um, by the founder of um, Basecamp. Uh, Basecamp. I'm Googling, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Mm -hmm. That's the last book I read, um, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and it has, it says on the cover, 80-hour weeks, fully packed schedules, super busy, endless meetings, all-nighters, Sunday afternoon emails, unrealistic deadlines, constant interruptions, overflowing inbox, chats blown up, can't sleep, no time to think, stuck at the office. And it has a huge X on top of it and says, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Oh, I like it. <laughs> um, I actually finished it. I rarely finish business books because they start out okay. And, and this is not necessarily... It doesn't have all the answers, but I thought it was very interesting. And a lot of the concepts, uh, I've, I've taken a lot of notes from that. So the authors are Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen, who's actually the guy who invented Ruby on Rails, which is interesting. Okay. Um, so that's um, one. Um, then there's one that I would really, really recommend, um, which is the first business book I ever finished, <laughs> <laughs> which is called, it is called Originals. Oh, Adam Grant. Yes, How Nonconformers Changed the oh, World. Oh, I love this one. It's a really, really good book with very, very clear kind of explanations and examples and a lot of different golden nuggets that you could use and that you should be aware of, I think, constantly. Yeah. Um, that's that's a very, that's very good a, book. If you're in, in tech, if you're doing something with uh, users, uh, Hooked by Niriel. <sighs> Is also really good. Very good book. Uh, near, and I met at Stanford while I was there. Give you met the author? Yeah. Um, give a class together at Stanford once. Nice. Um, really cool guy, and he has he's he has a lot of background in marketing and psychology and different things. So that's yeah. how he came up with the model. Yeah. And it's amazing to me how many people 
that are trying to do an app, for example, or some web thing that have not have not read that. It's like okay, you know, just this is very very basic. It's so it's so basic, but it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Yeah. So if you can, and if you can't translate whatever you're doing into that, yeah. then you're just doing it wrong. So yeah. rethink it from yeah. that. So yeah. I think that's a. So those would be my wow. <laughs> top three recommendations. For, that's a, that's a lot <laughs> of a, a lot of good books. I just know two of them, so I'm, I'm gonna check out the. It doesn't need to be crazy at work. Uh, that was the last uh, I read. I thought it was. Um, again, I, I I don't read that many business books. Yeah, to be honest. So, but you read the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me when you've read it. <laughs> All right, Alan. Thanks so much for your time. You're that more than it. welcome. I hope there was some interesting nuggets of <laughs> well, information. Well, I, I I honestly every time I have an interview, I learn so much, um, just from the stories that 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 the guests tell. And today was even. You know, content-wise, from that from blockchain, you explained to to a, a that it was a blockchain for dummies. Um, <laughs> happy. Um, so that was very, very, very cool. Thanks for taking the time. No, more than happy to do so. And good luck with all the startupers. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> listening Thanks. to this, I always tell them uh, one piece of advice is fall in love with the challenge, not the solution. <laughs> yes. So kind of that's it's, it's a always, tough one though. Yeah. It's a you. We're getting better at it, but we, we kind of fall into the trap until like, oh, it would be nice to build this or to have this and this. Exactly. But it's a trap. Challenge. And it all goes down to sitting down with your customers, understanding what the accountants do, yes. um, understanding the price itself. If you love the challenge, yeah. you'll, you'll always be able to implement all these different changes and all these different aspects and be able to adapt and, yeah. and strive. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key to moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> love, f love the problem, not the solution. That's a good one. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That was it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Startup Stories. I really hope you got some value out of it. Make sure to check out the show notes with additional links to the books that were recommended during the episode at nerdentrepreneurs.com. And if you like our podcast, leave a review on iTunes. See you next Monday.